Getting sober requires a lot more than mind over matter, a lot more than willpower. It's about leveraging the support around you. People in recovery typically need a mix of medical help, emotional support, and changes in lifestyle to manage their addiction, not just mental determination. As both a therapist and someone embracing the recovery lifestyle, there's one tool I always recommend to people needing extra accountability, Soberlink. Soberlink is a high-tech breath analyzer system designed to help you get and stay sober. And here's why I love it. You'll test the same day every day, eliminating testing anxiety. Friends and family receive instant test results, helping you rebuild trust and preventing relapse. Accountability is a part of that, and it's something to really be embraced. Devices have built-in facial recognition, so your support circle knows you're testing, and tamper-resistant sensors flag any attempts at trying to beat the system, so your sobriety is never questioned. So let 2024 be your best year yet. Visit Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M to sign up and receive $50 off your device. That's Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M. And let accountability be your guide. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Addicted Mind podcast. My name is Dwayne Osterlund, and I'm your host, and we've got a great guest today, Harold Jonas. Now, Harold, since 1999, has been at the center of Sober Network, Inc., and each of its related digital properties as a founder and CEO. His unparalleled experience with both web and award-winning app development for the addiction and recovery industry has allowed him to build a nationally recognized brand. Joined by his seasoned team of dedicated professionals who are committed to effecting positive change, Sober Network Inc. continues to be at the forefront of innovative technology for the addiction and recovery industry. I was excited to have Harold on because we are going to talk about blockchain and cryptocurrency. And many people might ask, what does that have to do with addiction and recovery? But we're going to talk about contingency management as an effective tool for harm reduction. And particularly, we're going to talk about his project, SoberCoin, and how the SoberCoin and the Sober Systems mobile app can help with the problem of addiction recovery. So I was super excited to talk with him about it. And I'm always into new and innovative ways to help people recover from addiction and trauma and turn their life around and thrive. And this is one tool I think that could be really helpful. And I'm very into blockchain technology and very excited about it. So it was great to get Harold on the podcast to talk about this project and I hope you enjoy it and get a lot out of it as well. So stay tuned for that. All right, before we start, I just want to thank everybody who has written a review in iTunes. That really does help the podcast get a lot of exposure. And it means a lot to me to read how the Addicted Mind podcast have been so helpful to so many people out there. Sometimes, you know, as I'm here behind the microphone, I don't see that impact. So reading the reviews allows me to to see that, that this is, this is appreciated and that uh, people are getting a lot out of it. So thank you to all who have taken the time to do that. I really appreciate it. And after this episode, if you want to continue this conversation, join our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook, type in the Addictive Mind Podcast, click join. All right, let's go ahead and start this episode. 
Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Addicted Mind Podcast. Today, my guest is Harold Jonas, and we're going to talk about blockchain, the sober, I want to call it the sober economy, this new idea of leveraging blockchain technology to help people in recovery. But first, before we jump all into that, Harold, do you want to introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about you and what got you into this work. And then we're going to get into that technology, which I'm very excited to talk about because I'm a big blockchain sure. fan. So. Okay. Thanks again, Dwayne, for having me and uh, getting through our, our technical challenges from our, our first episode and go around with this. Just to begin, my name is Dr. Harold Jonas. I am a licensed mental health counselor and I practice in um, the great state of Florida and have been here and actively participating in, in healthcare since 1988. My journey started in 87 when I got off a plane, hopelessly addicted to heroin and methadone, wound up in one of those traditional treatment centers and managed to somehow learn to be teachable, which was a new experience because, of course, I knew everything there was to know about pretty much nothing and learned that there was another way to live and that would be uh, drug-free. So since then, late 1987, I've been on this journey of continuing to move forward in self-care, in the helping profession, and, and work with addicts primarily, but also with people with uh, other mental health disorders and with families and adolescents. So with all that kind of behind me, in a sense, as far as a brief introduction, what I've been doing here is um, leveraging technology in healthcare and that started even early in my career when I got my first kind of laptop, I guess it was. It was a, a Radio Shack 8 megahertz suitcase of a portable computer that was only DOS. And we got it at a yard sale. And I carried that thing around religiously and really was determined to teach myself how to use it, even though it took forever to do anything. It had this little teeny screen and it was this really big suitcase. And yeah, I, well, I, I wish those. I still had it. I really wish I hadn't let it go because it would obviously be an antique at this point uh, and something of a collector's item. But long story short, I've been really fascinated and, and really just recently come into the realization that all my life I've been fighting being a nerd and never really wanted that label. And yet that's really, I'm really more apt in that direction than I am in the areas of my my wildest fantasy of being the next Michael Jordan or whatever it may be, because I am certainly not that. Uh, I tried. <laughs> really a nerd at a nerd at heart really uh i mean if you're carrying here, around the dog. in every every area but you know, only wanted to be the next whatever you know and and that was my way to fame and fortune was through athletics and the ironic thing is i couldn't see the ball really until i was like 12 years old because they didn't know i needed glasses so of course I, I was king of the strikeouts and missing baskets and so forth, but God, I wouldn't stop trying. But aside from that, I always read and was able to really nurture myself and keep occupied and read and read and read probably things that were way beyond my understanding, but read them anyway and absorbed it. So with this technology piece came along, really hit me hard when I was, you know, had a little portable printer, I was running around doing in-home evaluations with adolescents and printing out stuff and people were getting wowed. And that was back in the 90s, I mean, when I was doing that. But it really came to fruition for me when I had a coffee house 
with one of my enterprises that I had started. We had a, a coffee house that catered to people in recovery. And when, when the iPhone was introduced, I watched groups of people stand around and essentially stop talking to each other and just send text messages and photographs in groups right. uh, with, with yeah. coffee, all had coffee in their one handed and they're thumbing everything. And I'm like, oh, this is one, this is amazing. And and this is the future of therapy. This is the future of communication. This is the future of, of now. And it was right in front of me. And so what happened is that obviously I've been staying drug free all this time and, and improving myself with education and raising a family and juggling multiple balls at, at the same time over the course of my career to be able to sit here with you today comfortably and, and not feel pressured that, you know, the phone's going to ring and something bad is going to happen, which is a nice change. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so I don't know if that's a real good encapsulation of where I'm at, but I've really been invested in in implementing and leaving a contribution behind more than being a taker, which I had been for quite a few years, and, and then giving back, but now in a healthier way than I've ever done before. Right. And this making and a this, difference, you know, yeah, and that like, making a difference comes from your own experience of struggling mm -hmm. with addiction and dealing with all of the the chaos that comes from that. So your nerdness is now part of your, I guess, your asset to add something to, like you said, give back yeah. to create something to help people who are in dire straits, who are struggling. You've been there. I know we talked before that, mm -hmm. you know, many times you were homeless, living on the street, not knowing if you were going to make it and how caring, you know, and not you caring. Yeah. Level, and you just get to a point of apathy that just doesn't matter. For me, jail looked like a pretty good intervention and a longer period of time in jail because they kept, kept, I kept getting arrested and they kept letting me out. And I didn't get that whole thing. I kept violating probation and, and they kept, okay, you need to go back and go in a halfway house or whatever. And I'm like, I need to stay here. I don't know where to live. I have nowhere to eat. Not, and then, no, no, you got to go take care of you. I'm like, okay. And so that's what, that's how that evolved. So I gave up on that as the intervention and just really dug into, well, accepting things as they were and learning how to, you know, you learn survival skills on the street or you or you don't survive. And so that, that's how they, that they came to be. When I got the opportunity to change and give it my best, which was happened very unsuspectingly and from a very strange source where my father showed up in my life after a long period of abstinence. He showed up and said, you know, we'll, we'll bring you to Florida and give you give you an opportunity to do something different. I said, well, you know, I have everything to gain and nothing to lose at that point. So and, and that point, I'd given up everything. You know, the drug right. gods had taken everything from me. And I'd given it willingly and sacrificed my storage area, all of the material possessions I had left. And there was nothing but a suitcase and, and no, I had no keys. I had no keys left, you know, to open anything. Yeah. Yeah. Since I've accumulated massive amounts of keys, like if you're like the key maker in the Matrix, you know, and all these <laughs> keys and things. Well, I don't even, if I don't label them, I don't remember what they are. Um, it's kind of funny, you know, how yeah. it's come full circle. So back to this nerdiness, the turning point was 2016. Now, I had already started Sober.com in 2000, and we were the first online directory to create basically an electronic yellow pages for families to go shopping for the best clinical and financial fit for their loved one. So, you know, we were ahead of the curve there. We had a good five or six year run where we were like one of the only games in town where treatment centers could advertise and reach a mass amount of population. And my ideal was the internet leveled the playing field for every treatment center. 
because you couldn't yeah. tell whether they had 50 beds or 500 beds. It was what they put up there. It was electronic brochure making that phone ring for people to really communicate to the potential addict and or family member to, to choose them over anybody else. And that got very corrupted in, in the evolution of what happened right. online and stuff. Yeah. I, I stayed out. A lot of, of bad in, actors came in. Oh, and, man. Uh, I, I watched yeah. a lot of them come on board. And, you know, we weren't a quality control company. It wasn't our job, you know, but it's eventually has become that where you have certain standards you have to meet in order to advertise. So we had the online directory. Then we started online coaching and an institute in 2004, way ahead of that concept of coaching, where we knew, me and the colleagues I was working with, other clinicians, was that the techs in the industry do most of the work. The people that did work 4 to 12 and midnight to 7 in the morning are the ones that do most of the work with the clients. The therapists are busy doing paperwork and going to meetings and acting important, I think, more than anything else. But the real meat and potatoes of what happens is the milieu of the industry is the environment that's set up and the people that are managing that environment. When when the uh, chiefs go away during the day, when they go away, the, the nuts and bolts of it. So we wanted to really train that population and we came up with recovery management. All those and co- human interactions in those in those environments, you know, when, you, when you're yeah. there, I mean, it's those interactions that are powerful for change, right? And that doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily mean you have to be a therapist or you have to be licensed. That exactly. Change happens, I like what you say, in that milieu, in that yeah. environment, in that it's always happening because it's all these relationships Constantly. that are important. Exactly. And, and you only need one person to latch on to in order to make that change. You need a buddy or a sponsor or a mentor or a guide, or you need one. You only need one person. And and then you can latch on and can go for that ride with them until you become that person for somebody else. That's that pass it for play it forward. I think they had the idea with that with twelve steps with sponsorship. But what we've learned that sponsors have their own lives and they have their own issues. And conceptually, it's a great idea, but usually doesn't work. So we came up with the coaching thing, and it came from Bill White and recovery management, which had been going on for quite a while. Uh, uh, when people leave treatment, we do um, actively, proactively call them and see how they're doing and make sure they're they're doing what they agreed to do, because that's when we lose them is that first 30 to 90 days out of treatment. They haven't made the right. effective change yet. So if we can make that continuity more sustainable and, and affordable for everybody, then we have a better chance at helping that pathway be paved for people not to have such a challenge. So we're doing coaching. And then I put the coaching component on the app. I made an app right around 2012 and you know, started doing an accountability component with Sober Systems, a mobile app, which we then put a questionnaire up. And if you answer the questions, you're basically you know, going to get intervened upon with email if you don't answer the questions. So if you're doing everything right, you're answering the questions, which are, yeah, I'm committed to the recovery. But if I don't answer for two or three days, somebody's going to contact you and say, what's going on? And those people who are going to contact you are based on who you submit as your support group. And, and that's how it was designed to work. And SAMHSA, you know, ran some contests and we entered it here, there and everywhere. And we were recognized as a really innovative kind of tool. And I'm like, oh, great. I'm making that difference. We're going to really change the industry. We're going to reduce relapse. And we're going to this. And, we're going to... and nobody wanted to buy into it because the industry is self-perpetuating and it's built on relapse. It's built on the chronicity of the illness. And if they get better, then they won't come back. You know, hey, then they'll have empty beds. And what do we do then? So so again, I was kind of like shooting myself in the foot. 
and really was very disheartened and, and wound right, up banging on right. doors of, of, of educational institutions that were invested in college recovery. I was in, in probation, parole, and yeah, but you're going to put people out of work and we're going to, people are going to get better and they won't have to use. And I'm like, that's the whole idea, right? That's why we're here. And they're like, no, 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 no. Yes, yes, but no, no. You know, kind of like that ambivalent, right. ambiguous answering. So, so frustrated with the whole situation, but watch a lot of other copycat companies come along and do a better job than I could with my limited resources and get funding and make a dent. And it's evidence there's a company out of Austin that's done amazing with recovery management and they're doing great. Jacob, Jacob Friedman, I think his name is. Just fantastic stuff with the insurance companies and really getting data to show that this stuff is effective and it works. So like I backing I it up, backing it up with research because there's a yeah. lot of the recidivism rate in addiction is so high. I mean, it's such a hard thing to treat. You need these long-term solutions yes. to to help people move into a, a recovery state and. It takes time for the brain to change. We know that. You you, yeah. you need all the resources around you. You need the community. Yeah. You need all these things. And if you don't have that, the chances of you having maintaining long-term sobriety is going to get quite a bit lower. Less. Yeah, it's going to get less. And again, it's no fun when you're doing it by yourself. You know, yeah. the only thing fun doing by yourself is getting high and dealing with your own misery because you don't share your drugs with anybody. You only share your misery. And then when you get clean, you want to have connection. And people, we are social interaction. We're social creatures. And without without that interaction, it decreases. So they've done some really good work. There's some other things happening in that space. And I said, well, let me see what I can do to set myself apart. So I'm, I'm out walking one morning um, to go to the sunrise here where I live in Delray. And um, I'm here in this podcast. And they're talking about this blockchain stuff and how they're using it for crop growing. And they're using blockchain for population controls and they're using blockchain for this, that. I'm like, I called my friend. I said, how do we use blockchain with substance abuse? What can we do with this? And so we decided to create the crypto, which was just now getting some PR being Bitcoin in 2017, 2016, 2017. Right. We, you needed, you know, a hundred thousand Bitcoins to buy a pizza. And that's completely reversed, right? You need, you know, <laughs> that's right. completely upside down. So we decided to, create our own coin and I, I called it the mm -hmm. silver coin and we were going to start to pay people right we were going to incentivize people to report their sobriety we were going to pay them with cryptocurrency to to stay clean right so we were going to pay them for behavioral change so right. the research around that is really in place and it's really been well done and it's called a contingency management where they've used the same clinical model to get people to stop smoking cigarettes so it's already been evidence-based and it works. It's been very effective. It's like, if, if this and that, right? There's a long history of, of evidence and, and stuff that shows that contingency management is an effective tool. Would that be like an incentivized treatment, basically saying like with the research around smoking, if they get some kind of reward for that effort, that this encourages people to engage in that healthier behavior or abstinence from some unhealthy behavior exactly exactly and it's no different than with children with with gold stars they put on the refrigerator right with a, what they call a behavioral chart with parenting if you do this you get gold stars and then you get cookies or you get special time with mommy or you get tv time and then the child learns even from zero to six 
that if they do this, then they get the reward. It's opening up that chemical reward pathway in our brain that gets reinforced. It's self-reinforcing. That's how that works. Right, right. And so the dilemma is when we take away the reward, oftentimes the behavior will cease and or they'll regress back to their norm, which is self-destruction and or stuff that's unhealthy. So it's a long, it needs a long intervention in order to ingrain that new behavior. That's like you said earlier, the longer people stay on the pathway of recovery, the longer, the better chance they have to stay that way. And it's ingrained. It becomes a new norm. When it's just 30 days or 60 days and out, there's not, there's no change. It's not an effective change. It's like a blip in the radar. They, they get a taste of it, but they don't get the brass ring, so to speak. So we have to do an extended period of time for the intervention in order for it to last. So what's happened now with the with the blockchain and with cryptocurrency is that we have the silver coin. We've moved to a different blockchain, so to speak. And we're currently on the Binance blockchain where we can mint coins and it's an unlimited supply. We can just continue to mint coins and create a value for them in our silver economy. So our goal is to create a closed economy where you can only like like a food stamp card. You can only buy goods and services that are related to bettering your health, right? Then you can just go out and buy alcohol or other drugs or, or or food. You can buy therapy. You can buy coaching. You can buy training. Hopefully, you can buy housing one day. You can get discounts on prescription, blah, 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 things that are going to be in your best interest. That's the ultimate goal of the intervention. Okay, so they could they'll be able to use these digital tokens on this blockchain to be able to purchase stuff in this kind of sober economy. Mm -hmm. But can we go back a little bit for people who are listening and, and don't understand blockchain and don't understand how this technology works? Can you talk about that a little bit so that we have some kind of context? Sure. And so blockchain essentially is a it's a linkage of a whole bunch of computers together and it's a public ledger. So instead of what is it, Charles Dickens, when they did that, they write it down with the green handshade and they write stuff down in a ledger. It's basically an electronic ledger where it's public information. So anybody can see every transaction. That's how blockchains are designed. So when we do any transaction, if I send you my silver coin into your electronic wallet, they can see went from my wallet or my bank account, so to speak, into yours, and it's visible to everybody. So that's what sets it apart. And then it's there forever. There's no erasing it. It's like a medical right. record. It's netched in stone, so to speak, and, and it's copied over multiple different computer systems. So it's worldwide. It's like anybody can see it wherever they are. So that's what makes the beautiful part of it. It's like it's not hidden. And so anybody can use this sober blockchain if they have access to it, right? They can, if well, they want. Well, I don't have my own blockchain. I'm on the Binance blockchain. And then I minted a token or a coin or a currency, digital currency on that particular blockchain. So we had started with Litecoin, which was on a different blockchain. And then we went to Stellar, which is even another blockchain. Because there's multiple blockchains that are currently in place. Right, and they're right. all, it's all mathematics for people who are way nerdier than I am, who understand things like physics and calculus and stuff that are way beyond me. Um, right. But that's so a bunch of formulas, a bunch of formulas that are very long in nature, because that's for the encryption to protect the privacy and security of the whole blockchain. So the real popular one, of course, is the Bitcoin blockchain, right? There's that one. And then there's the one that's right behind it, Ethereum, 
on the Ethereum blockchain, which right, is the right. second most popular and most widely used. Then there's Ripple. I mean, there's if you go to there's like a lot of different market, chains yeah. out there, yeah, right. Yeah, they have different cap. work in different ways. Yeah, work in different yeah. ways. Yeah. So with and the, they have the different idea. purposes. Yeah, they have different purposes of why they exist. Right, that's the intent of each blockchain it has its own mission, so to speak, of what it's there right. for. In in a way, what I also understand of, of in looking at crypto and and blockchain stuff, these sober coins. What I'm understanding you're saying is they'll have some real world value to be able to purchase things like you said like to be able to purchase therapy or i guess the other way around if you go to therapy you can get paid in sober coin to purchase other things that you might need in the sober economy maybe if you're i'm just imagining what this yeah. might be like yeah. like maybe you're you know hey if you engage in therapy we'll pay you in sober coin to be there and do that or coaching or whatever it is and then they could purchase other things that they need in the sober economy. I mean, I, that's what I'm seeing, how it would yeah, flow. That's part of the idea. Kind of like Lost Boys, where, where, you know, wampum didn't have any value until we created value for wampum, you know, with Native right. Americans. And they decided it was worth land or X amount of acres or whatever it was. And then it's assigned. I mean, the value is assigned. So we know with fiat currency, rent in my neighborhood for a halfway house is 200 to 300 dollars a week for a shared room in a in a place so my goal is to get landlords to accept sober coin for admissions and or fees to get started because without support of shared housing without stable housing people have very little chance to make it you know in terms of recovery they need that address they need a place to shower and clean up and get a community and so we want landlords, the most important thing is to accept that, to initiate, you know, accepting Silvercoin. So the casual user who has no recovery capital, right? This is all about recovery management and languaging around that. Uh, they have no recovery capital. We want them to earn that capital by using the app, earning Silvercoin, and then being able to buy. Right now, people can earn, and we have people earning. They can buy coaching from us because we have a coach platform that we train coaches they could buy training from us we'll give them training and we'll take their sober coin back from them so we have that we have advertising on our platforms that they can buy we're going to have clothing right now we just got to deal with a company called rehab barbie and she has a clothing line that we're going to put up on the site so people can buy clothing with their silver coin now the financing and the value to rehab barbie is we're going to absorb that cost we want the coin to be utilized so people can start learning how to use it and transfer it because this is all about problem solving. Right, right. So like if they if if someone is engaging in the recovery app and they're doing recovery exercises or they're doing some kind of recovery work, they'll get paid in Sobercoin for doing that work. And then they can go, if if they need new clothes, they can get new clothes. If they need to help on their rent, they could use that silver coin for their rent. So you're you're giving them value. I mean, I think that's pretty pretty amazing. I, I want to see how this this goes. It, it, I mean, I think it could be yeah, it really, really, really cool. It really does. We've been doing it for a while. So we've right. got people again earning silver coin by checking into the app. They can check in our world in our economy that we created. You can earn coin by checking into the Silver Systems app on a regular basis, and you earn coin posting in our community forums. So if you post 10 times, we reward you with, with coin. We're basically paying people to post. So we, we're trying to generate traffic to the site and we're trying to 
generate eyeballs for advertisers, right? To basically right, support right. this circular economy. So the advertisers, technically being the treatment centers, are actually paying their future clients or past clients to do what they want them to do, which is not get high. Right. So they can do this, and then they and then this flows, and it it, it creates a recovery economy. So this exactly. recovery activity, because, yeah, because yeah, this re- yeah. I, I mean, I think it's cool. This recovery activity actually generates value for the person doing outside of just the value of being in recovery, but real world right. value. Number in the, one, in, number right. one, they're not but, dead. Yeah, yeah, we but don't you know, but the reality is, we need resources in our life to to be able to function, and if you can give them the opportunity of a way to like earn some capital they can reapply that in ways that help them and help them get out of these situations and get resources for themselves i mean i think that's i think it's brilliant i i think it's really cool i'm i'm a big fan of blockchain anyway so yeah. i'm kind of already on board i i think it's a, i think it's uh, has a ton of potential uh, what does. I see, what I understand it, but once again, I'm I'm an amateur in that world too, so I don't understand it all. But it seems really cool. Yeah, we're not mathematicians, so there's more utilization and use case scenarios for blockchain in and of itself, as far as gather gathering data and making analysis and doing predictability and so forth like that. I leave that for the other people that are good at actuarials and so forth. But our economy is what we're trying to start to initiate, and our our biggest chance of making this happen even more in real life is through California. I, I think I mentioned briefly, but we were ending last week that California passed the law back in 2021 about implementing contingency management targeted at methamphetamine users because they've identified that for some reason through their research that people who are using meth, which is a water-soluble chemical and it goes through very quickly and they always are wanting more and more and more, have a better chance of implementing this strategy and being successful at it. So they're now using real Medicaid dollars to buy gift cards and they're rewarding people that are doing whatever their contingency is, whatever their intervention is with gift cards, 20 or $50 at a shot up to a maximum of $300. So that, because Medicare has rules and Medicare CMS, you know, sets the standard. We say they don't want patient brokering and the corruption and you're going to buy clients and you're going to this. Way. So you only have a limited amount of money to work with. And or they got another uh, another company came along and got Medicare to approve up to six hundred dollars or like five ninety nine is the cap that you can give people for doing what you want them to do, which is great. So there's a stab at this going on. So can you define a little bit better contingency management? Like when when we look at that, for, for people who are listening, what, what does that actually mean? And I know we're talking about it, but I, wanna, I want it to really be clear. Sure. So it's not unlike just what it sounds like. Your reward is contingent on your behavior. So it works great in institutional settings, like in, let's say, the prison system. So uh, people become trustees contingent on the fact that they don't create problems on their cell block, they don't get in fights, they don't have a lot of complaints, and blah, blah. They're model, model prisoners, and then they get rewarded with the opportunity to become trustees and get a little more freedom within the institution, and then they can go to school, and then, and then, 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 right, if premised on the fact that they continue on this pathway of what the right, authority right. wants them to do. So in this case, the institution or the authority is going to be the drug treatment center, or in the state of California, it's going to be the health department, 
that implements the strategy and says, if you come in and give us clean urines for 30 days, we're going to give you a $20 gift card. That's hypothetically. I I don't right, know right. exactly what each health department is going to implement. It's visible, though, on Medi-Cal.com uh, or Medi-Cal.gov, whatever that site is. Everything is there visible for anybody that wants to go and research it. My vision is that if it works and statistically is proven effective in California, it's going to sweep the, the country. They're going to, right, the, right. Their, the treatment center industry has been old and tired and with the same antiquated interventions since I started 30 years ago. And it was going on for 10 years prior, maybe longer, where it hasn't really changed. It's still 12-step facilitation and out the door. And 12 steps are not for everybody. Abstinence forever is not for everybody. There's a new definition of recovery, a new definition of sobriety. Right, right. Marijuana is legal everywhere. It, they're they're not giving marijuana up, okay? We're, we're, this population, this generation, they're not giving up marijuana. That's a given. So we have to work around the fact that we're dealing with impaired people permanently right, right. at some level. So the best we can do is manage that, right? We can limit marijuana use to after dinner, and then you get rewarded, as an example. You know, those are the kinds of things we're looking at as an industry, and, and I don't know that they're keeping up because they're just continuing to do the same old tired stuff and people are continuing to get out and die. Right. And that's not news. I'm not like, you know, bad mouthing or smashing anything. That's just facts. Like you said. Absolutely. One, right. one in 28 people, one in 28 people stay drug free for a year post-treatment. That's a data that's been going on since 1988. <laughs> that's, that's what? What? You can't do that with anything else in medicine, but you can do it with addiction. I mean, like what? That's crazy. Right. We have to improve our treatment models because that's that's not that's not a great stat, but it, you're right. I mean, that's that's the fact. And and so trying to work around that is, is is so important. So my question is, you're talking about the Medicare and, and how they do this contingency payments and how is blockchain going to improve upon that and make that better and make that more efficient and how, how is that going to happen? How is blockchain going to, yeah, I guess, improve upon it? So what, what blockchain can be done, right? I mean, there's so many incredible avenues that can be explored via blockchain. When I look at all the use case scenarios, when I just look at research and how they're using it to um, predict crops, where to plant crops, because they have the data and they enter it into the fields and are able to get this, this spit out an answer more effectively and then stay with it. So to look at blockchain adapted to behavioral health is a way longer conversation that I'm really an expert at answering. Right. I you know, I know that blockchain has afforded us the opportunity to create this digital coin, so to speak, and create a value for it and how we've been able to apply it in our world on a small scale just to get the prototype in place to show that it works and is effective. When SAMHSA gets a hold of the data, you know, they can plug it into the blockchain and, and figure out how to use that data to be able to get better patient matching, for instance, which has always been an elusive issue when you're talking about behavioral health, time of yeah. day, methodology, gender, age, race. I mean, there's all these variables that go into a witch's cauldron, so to speak, to make that intervention effective for that person, but not for the next person. And they don't know why that is. Because it's too elusive as far as, but they can limit the probability or increase the probability with the data. I mean, that's how right. it would work. So as, okay. as more people use this 
sober coin, the more data that you'll get, the, the better we'll be able to see what works, what doesn't work, and improve this upon this number, one in 28, I think you said. Well, hopefully, we can get to, uh, I don't know, 27 in 28, <laughs> maybe 28 well, of 28. But it, you know it, what I mean. Sure, sure. I mean, I, I heard that number when I sat in group in 1988, and no, it was 87, and they stood there, and they sat, and they went around the room like this, and there were 30 of us in the room, and they said, this time next year, one of you will be in recovery, one of you will be dead, and the rest of you will be floundering, like figuring out which ends up or whatever you're doing, but there's only going to be one of you that's, and I said to myself right then, well, I certainly don't want to be dead, or I wouldn't be here. I'm going to be that one that's still in recovery. That's when I made a decision. And I'm like, because it, it was, was it fear that generated that answer or desperation or, or desire or all of the above. I just made a decision then that no matter what, I was going to be that one at least a year out. I could, And then they said, in order to get that year, you only got to do it 10 minutes at a time. I'm like, oh, I can do that. Right. That's how it worked for me. I, I can do 10 minutes. I, I can't do a year. I can't do a lifetime, but I can I can definitely do 10 minutes. And and so I would sit there like this with the watch. Was, oh, 10 minutes. I'll, I'm going to use in 10 minutes. You know, I'm going to, I would say crazy shit like that. I'm going to use right. in 10 minutes and 10 minutes and 10 minutes. And then now it's 35 years later and, and it's still only one day at a time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and I think, you know, going back to this, I mean, man, imagine incentivizing that you know, that 10 minutes and you know, you're, you know what, right. you're sober for this amount of time, we're going to pay you. Yeah. And we're going to give you resources to improve your life, build your life. Here you go. Right. You know, we're going right. to, we're going to give it to you. And I think there's just a lot of potential here. I'm excited to see Tremendous. how, how this works out and, and how blockchain can be leveraged for this and work for this. I mean, I think it's, it's pretty exciting. Oh, it's totally. So it's, like it's out of the box, which is really important that we look outside yeah. of the current situations. My now interest is lying in with the psychedelic interventions that are being touted yeah. and, and being used for. And I've been a proponent of Ibogaine. Like in 1991, I was reading about this crazy African root, right, that, that the tribes use and it's called Ibogaine. And I'm like, well, why isn't that here? If it works so good, why isn't it here? And then there's this whole FDA conspiracy and they won't let it in. And the farm that, you know, the whole pharmaceutical industry won't let a cure in because if there is, then there wouldn't be that whole industry. You know, suddenly right. it goes away. And so, and I had a family, so I couldn't really get too radical. My, those radical days had to be left aside until the kids are grown and I could take more risks. So what happened with Ibogaine obviously became very popular and very, very effective and researched. And they know that it works. They know that Ibogaine and ayahuasca and psilocybin, they know clinically that it works since the 40s, 50s, and 60s when that research was getting done. And then they put a lid on it because they could. Right. Yeah, the research around that is 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 very very compelling. Um, yes. it is it is like wow, you know, this this yeah. could shift mental health treatment in in a big way and maybe it's the new paradigm that we we have to look at and and understand. So I mm -hmm. I think thinking outside of the box in in how we treat mental health issues is so important because yeah, we've been stuck kind of with the same outcomes for the last 30 years, you know, last 40 years. And right. we have to look at the different ways of doing right. things. Yeah. Right. And the same and the way you're doing it because, 
And the insurance companies don't have an option, so they continue to fund it because they don't have right. a real solid option to choose from. So they say, okay, fine, we'll just keep doing this over and over again. I mean, it's moved from residential to PHP and to IOP because they've known for years that that is just as effective clinically if there's stable housing. IOP is just as effective as residential, if not more so because you're juggling and dealing with life on life's terms all day, every day. And, and if yeah. you can do that, you can you can stay clean and you can improve the quality of your life. So this is not new information. It's just taking a while for that change to occur. Accountability is one of those components. However, that's implemented. And now the reward pathways, which have already opened up with drugs, they're going to open them up with something else, whether it's a gift card or opportunities like resources to improve the quality of your life. And, and if we play it forward and can you continue to do that, we can make that dent, you know, on a large scale because everybody, I don't want to say everybody, the majority of people have phones and we can reach them with messaging. We can reach them with compliance yeah. with medication. We can reach them with appointments compliance. We can reach those people. The more bombarding they get with, don't forget your appointment, don't forget your appointment, chances are increased that they're going to actually keep that appointment and get what they need, which is whatever right. that appointment entails. Right. You know, that's you know, important. As as you're talking, my imagination goes to people who are getting in recovery, like their recovery for a while can be their their job, you know, to get to their it, it can be their work because they can yes. earn sober coin that they can get resources for to be able to improve their life. And then, you know, eventually, hopefully they you know, will move out of that. But in the beginning, it's like this is your job. It's getting recovery and 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 to pay people to do that in a in a contained way. I think it could be really really helpful for a lot of yeah. people. So we need a, a control group. Housing, of course, being the most important piece, and real estate's real expensive, and there's a lot of things that contribute to these solutions. But incentivizing people to continue to invest in themselves. Yeah. That's it's the switch because a lot of people have that external kind of like things happen to me. I'm a victim and becoming empowered and that they can do this because given the right set of circumstances, most people are going to flourish, right? They flourish on validation that's positive, not on criticism. We know all this. This is nothing new. I'm not like this big giant right. smart guy. This is all stuff that's written down. And I don't know. know how many books that people do this. And, and when they're given that opportunity, like stable, clean housing, they're going to take care of it and wash their dishes. You don't have to sit there and beat them up and say, wash your dishes. They already know that. They were already taught. We were all taught the same thing. You know, wipe your ass, go to the grocery store, be kind. It started in like kindergarten. I mean, that's like nothing new. Right. <laughs> it's right. nothing new. You know, look both ways. Hold your partner's hand. So you, if you're going to get killed, you're, at least you're not alone. You know, when you, you, you stuff like that. <laughs> We know all these things. So it's a matter of the argument. One of my mentors said, Jonas, we're not about rehabilitation in this industry. It's about habilitation, which is a first time learning for many people. Rehab would be relearning something you already know, as opposed to habilitation, which is learning for the first time. And there's a lot of people that just haven't been parented because of the circumstances yeah. in their life, just haven't had that opportunity. And of course, there's all the other contributing things that hold people back like you know the micro racism and gender kind of biases and all the other things that give them challenges yeah. to give Absolutely. up because of when in fact 
there's too many people that blow through those things and don't let anything stand in the way when they're given that chance to do. And they can, you know, and, and dangling that reward of you can do this and you can, if you do this, you can do that, right? Just check into the app. Just keep when, going. When I ask the people that use the app to check in, I'm not asking them yet for drug screens because I don't have the money to pay for a drug screen. Just tell me, right, because the program, 12 Steps, is based on honesty. Report that you're drug free. And if you report that you're drug free for 30 days in a row, I'm going to send you SoberPoint. It's not complicated. And they're going to say, oh, great. How do I do that? And then I give them a video on instructions. And they say, well, how do I do that? I say, well, watch the video. How do I do that? Well, watch the video again. How do I do that? Well, we're not going to do it for you because that defeats the whole purpose. That's like Velcro for your sneakers. Learn how to tie your shoes. You can do it. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm also thinking like with, with Bitcoin and crypto, you can give micro payments. So watch the video. If you watch that video for 10 minutes, you get a yeah. little bit of silver coin. I mean, you could break yeah. it, break it down into these very, very manageable small tasks that over time with consistency can create big change. So that's, that's very exciting. Yeah. So they, they don't have to, they have to download a wallet. They have to open a wallet. Like, what is that? You know, cause they can't see it or touch it. So it's still, very unnerving for a lot of people and they have to send me the wallet address in order to get the coins sent to it they're like what is that and so you know we'll get a flurry and then it'll die for a while and we have to go through this hand holding and it's very painstaking and and disheartening that people don't want to challenge their own parameters of limitations and learn new things because we give them instructions great and and i try to make it really simple you know, ninth grade education, so they don't get too like clinical or, you know, right, right. Yeah, you know, and, and, and once they get the hang of it, they're like all in. And where's my coin? God damn it. I checked once, in. Where's my coin? You're really funny. <laughs> once you understand it, it's not that complex to, to be not. able to do that stuff. And, and I, I think that's just a, a matter of time as people get more comfortable with crypto technology and, and blockchain. And I mean, in my opinion, it's here to stay. It's going to be a big part of of the world. Something I think, like like the internet itself, was a fundamental change. I think blockchain is going to be a fundamental change too in in the future here. So, all right, Harold, we're we're getting up on our time here. So, mm-hmm. I usually before I let a guest go, I I love to ask this question, which is, if someone out there is struggling, they're having a hard time, and you could tell them one thing, one thing. What would it be? What would you want to tell them? When you ask for help, be gracious and kind and accept the help. Because what I've learned is desperate people beg and ask for help. But when you reach out to help them, they bite the hand that feeds them. They get contemptuous and angry that you're there to help them and they don't accept that help. That's the dilemma I've run into over and over again, is that they'll be more than happy to ask for it, but they won't accept it where they'll accept their help with conditions. And then all of a sudden, you know, their entitlement overwhelms them and and just be true to yourself and accept the help and understand that help is readily available. There's plenty of help out there and people are there to help. And we look at the congregations that are throughout the country, that their whole mission to exist is to help the congregants. 
right? Right. There's this, this forget drug treatment as far as help. That's limited and very limited. When you look at the clergy and the congregations in Christianity, as an example, or Judaism or or Muslims, they're there to help one another and their brethren. That's what they're there for. And you can walk in almost any church in this country and get a meal or get a you know, soft ear to listen to whatever you want. They're there. To have, they have pantries. They, so there's plenty of help available. People's egos get in the way of letting them help, get, accept that help. And and that's that's the biggest challenge I run into is that acceptance component. Awesome. Awesome. Where can people find more information about you and about SoberCoin and about this project? Where can they find that information if they they want to? Well, we, well, I run a number of different websites, and and that's so we can see it all on the Soberverse. I mean, that's the most encompassing one. www.soberverse.com, kind of like the metaverse, but we've kind of coined that, and you can see everything there in the sober economy and how this can go around. You can download the app for free, SoberSystems.com, on the app or the Play Store. Sign up and start earning today. And and again, you don't have to stay drug-free to earn. You just got to plug in and do it. That's the most – because the repetitive nature of it and the dishonesty that you'll continue to have if you you lie on the app over and over again, your conscience will win out. You know, that's it. it, Pinocchio is going to win out or whatever that – Jiminy Cricket, they're going to win out. Just Uh, just start going forward no matter what. yeah, at sober.com, sober system, sober network, any anything sober, we're there. So, you know, check awesome. us out. Take a look, see. I'm available by email at Jonas at sobernetwork.com and I'm pretty responsive. So if you drop me a line, I'll get back with you a pretty measurable amount of time. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on to the Addicted Mind podcast, Harold. I'm so excited. I can't wait to hear it live. All right, man. Thanks, Dwayne. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Addicted Mind podcast. As usual, all the show notes will be at theaddictedmind.com. So check that out. And if you enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend, write a review on iTunes, whatever works for you. That'd be great. And join our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook, type in the Addicted Mind podcast, click join and continue the conversation online. All right, everyone. Have a wonderful day. And I will talk to you on the next episode. Madeline, and I'm the host of the Happiest Sober Podcast. I got sober in my 20s after a decade of gray area drinking, and the greatest plot twist of all time was realizing that alcohol, the thing that I thought made my life the most happy and fun and exciting, was actually the exact thing preventing me from living my happiest and best life. My mom is 40 years sober, and she joins me on my podcast very often. I like to call her my part-time co-host, and I also bring you solo episodes where I share my top tips, tricks, and mindset shifts in sobriety, and lots of how-to for navigating all the things sober from weddings to parties to holidays to bachelorette parties to trips. I'm also joined by so many guests who come on and share their sober stories and they're all so, so inspiring. I'm here to show you that life doesn't end when you quit drinking. In fact, it's very much the opposite. And no matter what your relationship was with alcohol, life can be the absolute happiest when you're sober. New episodes come out every Tuesday. You can listen to Happiest Sober Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.